0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text is from the Holy Gospel today, the 14th chapter of St. Luke. These words of our Lord. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is our text. Martin Luther once said, A religion that gives nothing, that costs nothing, that suffers nothing is a religion that's worth nothing and Luther was right he was simply repeating and echoing what our Lord Jesus makes so clear in the gospel reading for today words that need to be understood in their setting what was the setting that took place as Jesus announced these words that we just heard Jesus and some of his disciples were getting into a boat they were about to cross over the lake And just before they do, Jesus addresses this great crowd that had gathered about him, a large crowd. And it was a mixed crowd. It was a crowd of people, many of them who were there just to see who this Jesus was and hoping that he might perform one of the many miracles that he was known for performing. That they might be able to see for themselves some miraculous event take place and transpire. That was one group in this large mixed crowd that was there. But there was another group as well a group of men who were determined that they were going to find a rabbi that they might follow because that's the way it would work back then you would seek out a rabbi to follow if you were interested in becoming a rabbi in time yourself you see that's the way that that rabbinical training would take place back then you would first of all as a young boy attend the school of Torah where you would learn the Torah the first five books of Moses for the younger years of your life And then after that you would go to a rabbinical college of sorts and following your training in that rabbinical college, you would then proceed to look for a rabbi that you could follow. And so to be sure some of the people that were there that day in that large mixed crowds weren't there simply to see miracles, perhaps they'd seen them, but they were there instead looking for a rabbi that they might follow, sort of to feel Jesus out to see if he's the type of rabbi that they would like to follow after. But Jesus the rabbi, as they would soon discover, is not like other rabbis. Because Jesus is a rabbi who chooses his disciples, his disciples don't choose him. Jesus chooses his disciples. In fact, picking up on that distinguishing difference, Jesus would later remind his disciples in the Gospel of St. John, he would say, You did not choose me. I chose you. A truth well worth remembering, especially in our own day when there are so many who would call themselves disciples of Christ and attribute it to their own choosing him. Whereas indeed, none of us are disciples of the Lord unless he first has chosen us to be his own. Secondly, Jesus was not like other disciples in his day in that he didn't want followers to come after him just for the sake of having followers come after him, of having large numbers of people there. He wasn't interested in numbers as so many in our day are. To be sure, he desired all to be saved. He'd come to give his life for the sake of the whole world for every sinner who has ever lived and ever would occupy space on planet earth he was interested in the salvation of all he indeed would give himself for the salvation of all but he's still not in the numbers game to paraphrase the great 20th century lutheran theologian herman Sasse, he says our lord's predilection for small flocks is evident in that he said were two or three are gathered together in my name, not where two or three million are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. No, his disciples, though they be few, and indeed they would be, because there were many of those early disciples who then left Christ and turned away from him. And Jesus even turns to the few who would stay with him and say, Would you depart from me? Would you leave me too? They were few. But those that remain with him would be the few who were sincere. They will, by his grace, be those who have counted the cost of discipleship, the personal cost that may well be required of them. Because they bear his name, in a world that is increasingly hostile to it, they count that cost and they are still with him. His people will be those in whom his Holy Spirit, through his word and through his sacraments, has created a lasting and holding faith to him. Sustained that faith, saying, I am Christ's and he is mine and nothing is going to separate us from each other. Men and women and children who aren't looking for the easy way out. But those who are prepared to sacrifice anything and everything for the Lord Jesus Christ men and women of whom jesus says in today's gospel they will bear their own cross and they will come after me the image jesus uses you see is that of a cross bearer reminds me of a man who said that he called a certain hymn that used to be sung in church when he was a child it was a hymn about the cross i bear and he always thought they were talking about a cross eyed bear and he said, I hope if I ever get stuck in the woods that I'll run into a cross-eyed bear so that he doesn't see me so well. That's not what we're talking about. And there are people today that confuse it as much when we hear about burying our crosses. It's not bearing the simple little irritants in life that we might experience. It's not the the headaches that we have, the migra- migraines or otherwise. It's not putting up with, with backaches and all the other aches and the pains of body or the irritations of mind that's not what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about us bearing our cross that's not it when Jesus talks about bearing our cross he's talking about death the cross you see was a symbol that was synonymous with death people looked at a cross and they thought death they didn't think little irritants that you would bear for a while and then set aside for a day or two. The cross equaled death. It was a symbol of persecution and great suffering that always and ultimately led to death. Today, because of what Christ accomplished for us on that death cross, it has for us become a a symbol of beauty. It's become the symbol of our faith, a symbol that we love, a beautiful symbol of our salvation, of our justification. But in the text, when Jesus spoke of bearing a cross, the people then heard the word cross, and they fought skull and crossbones. They fought death, more like the electric chair in our day, or a lethal injection syringe, not something that you'd Simply admire is a, a piece of jewelry that you might wear, as is done in our day, not something about which you'd go up to somebody and you'd say, Oh, I love that miniature electric chair that's hanging about your neck. Where could I get one of those? Or what a beautiful lethal injection syringe you're hanging about your neck. Where did you get that? When Jesus talked to the disciples about bearing a cross, the cross was not the benign symbol that it is in our day far more than a piece of harmless jewelry the cross was the most agonizing torturous mode of execution that was known to man it was the noose it was the electric chair it was the lethal injection of his day it was much worse in the time of jesus when you saw someone carrying a cross it meant one and only thing one and only one thing it meant that they were as good as dead some years ago remember sister Helen Prejean wrote a book entitled Dead Men Walking because you know when a prisoner movie was made about it eventually when a prisoner is walking from his cell to the place to be executed what is it that the other prisoners are saying dead man walking dead man walking He's alive and he's walking, but he's as good as dead. That's an apt description of what Jesus meant when he spoke of a disciple carrying his cross. We are, as his disciples, if you're going to bear the cross, we're as good as dead men walking. Not dead to Christ, but dead to the world. And that's why St. Paul said in Corinthians and he talks about Christians as they live out their lives in this world as being dead men in that very sense He says that they're dead to the world in the sense that he says I have I have been crucified with Christ and So it's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me And again, he says in Galatians that he was dead to the world Those who belong to Christ Jesus he said have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and with us desires, dead to the world in the sense of Saint Paul who said far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Bearing the cross, dead to the world, dead to anything and to everything that might suddenly snatch us away or subtly entice and gradually draw us away from jesus christ everything and anything that might do it and isn't that exactly what was taking place in the verses that are immediately preceding our text for today that's indeed what was happening because they were verses about three men three men who were ready and willing and wanting to sign up for following jesus but it had to be a conditional sign up It was sort of a conditional kind of Christianity that these three men preceding our text for today are talking about. Men who were willing to follow Jesus, but only at a safe and self-serving and self-controlling distance. Remember, one man had a parcel of land that he had to examine, he said, so he asked to be excused for a time from following Jesus. And a second man had invested in a fine new set of heavy-duty oxen. And he wanted to really give them a trial run before he would go out and follow Jesus. And a third man then, who had just gotten married, he said, for this reason I cannot come. I'll come later and follow Jesus. None of these shall taste my dinner, Jesus said. None of them shall feast with me. Why? Because they had put other things as a priority in their life above the Lord Jesus Christ business affairs, personal affairs which to them were all important and they are indeed important, but not sufficient reason for rejecting Christ's invitation and call as freely given and freely offered. And then in our text, then comes the ultimate. The ultimate, what in your life means more to you than Christ, husband, wife, father, mother, children, love for your own life greater than your love of christ you see to the great crowd of would-be disciples who were listening to jesus that day he says my friends sit down count the cost count the cost the high cost of discipleship before you go casting your lot with me not that i will require Any fee for you to pay to me, the world, though, the world will require a great deal of you for following me and for bearing my name. The world will require a great deal of you. It'll cause all sorts of trouble. It will cause trauma. It will threaten to rip you from your dearest treasures because of your allegiance to me. So sit down and count the cost. After all, you wouldn't build a grand tower without first sitting down and counting the cost. And if you were a king, you wouldn't send your armies out to war without first sitting down and counting the cost in doing so. Well, the cost of following me, because of the world which requires it of you, is great. It's even greater than these things. You see, following Christ is much more than simply being on the the Sunday sidelines, cheering him on and his team on the field on, and then for seven the other six days of the week going off and doing other things. Discipleship involves all of God's people being on the gridiron in whatever positions their vocations in life might call them to be, from day to day, putting everything on the line, saying, you, Lord Jesus, mean more to me than all of this that I love dearly, but you mean more to me than all of this and to all of these which mean even more to me than the world itself. Indeed, you mean more to me, Lord Jesus, than life itself. More to me than life itself. And so St. Matthew was thrust through with the sword in Ethiopia more to me than life itself Lord and Saint Mark was dragged by horses through the streets of Alexandria until he was dead more to me than life itself Lord and Saint Luke was hanged in Greece more to me Lord than life itself and Saint Peter was crucified upside down outside of Rome and Saint Paul was beheaded outside of Rome and James the just was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple over a hundred feet surviving the fall only then while he was on the ground to be bludgeoned to death by angry men that came with their clubs to beat him to death. Bartholomew flayed to death by the whip, St. Andrew languishing for two days on a cross in Patros, Greece. St. Thomas stabbed with a spear in India. Men of Christ, And there were indeed many women, too, who joined that chorus of those who confess Christ means more to me than my life itself. Women like Felicitas, a woman of noble Roman status who raised seven sons to confess Christ with her, and all of them were cut down for their faith before her eyes. And Felicitas herself was executed with the same sword that beheaded her last three sons history is replete with the testimony of men and women who counted the great cost of discipleship and were ready to pay the ultimate price that the world would demand of them these were those of whom the writer of Hebrews speaks when he writes at the end of that great faith chapter, chapter 11 And he says, these were those men and women of whom the world was not even worthy. Men and women who chose death to the world because they would not concede the life of Christ, which had been freely given to them by him. And after all, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Christ, who becomes our life by first becoming our death for us, Christ who became our perfection by first becoming our sin for us. Christ who for your life gave up his intimate fellowship with the Father for the God-forsaken loneliness of the cross. Christ the author of life who laid down his life for us all. Christ who as the apostle puts it, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, that in his poverty you, might be made eternally rich the sinless for the sinful the faithful for the faithless the righteous for the unrighteous his life given to you freely in exchange for your death that someday the cross is placed upon us by the world may be exchanged for the crowns that will be placed upon our baptismally washed heads by the lord jesus christ himself That's what moved, and that's what motivated the disciples throughout the ages to do what God in our Old Testament lesson today said the faithful of God would do. Hold fast to him, he says. Hold fast to him, for he is your life, and he is your length of days. And those saints of old did. Their faith was tried, and it was found by God's grace to be true it was found to be sincere Do you remember what the word sincere means where the word sincere comes from I think I shared it with you some time ago etymologically the word sincere actually comes from ancient Rome 2000 years ago in Rome there was a large demand for statues for houses and for the gardens of the rich and those statues most in demand were statues of the rich themselves because marble statues of their images of of husbands and wives and their children were made and they were put in their gardens and in their homes and all over the place not just one in a household but often many depending upon the wealth of the household as a result of the demand the availability of good quality marble to make these statues began to dwindle and statues took hours to make a mistake with a chisel could be very costly to them and so instead of starting over again many times what the artisans would do is they would disguise the defects that they would make in the statues that they would chisel by putting in a certain wax over the mar, over the mark, over the mistake to disguise the defects. Sometimes they do that even to disguise defects in lower grade marble with a kind of a wax polish that they would put over the whole thing. In the sculptor's shop the eye of the non-sculptor was usually unable to see these flaws and this lack of quality but weeks or months later in the warmth of the house or after repeated exposure to sunshine or rain the wax would melt or it would wear away and then the underlying defect was glaring and it was obvious and thus signed certificates of authenticity Guaranteeing that the statues were indeed solid marble, the real thing, that they were without wax. Interestingly, the Latin words for without wax are sine cara. S I N E C E R A. Sounds like sincere, doesn't it? Sine cara a statue that was the real thing, that was genuine, would be sine cara, without wax, sincere. God grant us his grace in Christ, because as he does, our faith in Christ, when tried by all of the fires of adversity, will prove to be sincerely his.